everyone. Welcome to Player vs. Plot, the podcast where we take video game stories seriously. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Sterling. And I'm Chris. And today we're doing a little a little side trip on a side topic. One of my favorite topics, romance. Yeah, romance is pretty great, if I do <laughs> say so myself. I feel like we need a third opinion that like creates drama in the podcast, so... I'm going to start out saying I hate romance. That seems like and you. And your job is to convince me that I actually love romance. Aw, this entire episode is just like a whole arc where we teach Chris it's okay to love. Yeah. And then it just ends. <laughs> and then it really it's about me. <laughs> wow, way to make everything about you, Chris. Who do you think you are, me? Finding his heart. It's like how the Grinch stole Christmas. Okay. So this is a holiday episode. Heart will grow three sizes today. It's like you find four heart pieces. Ooh, even better. Yeah, that's way more relevant. (laughs) So, quick take. I love romance in my video games. I love having romance options. I love having it in a story. It just keeps me into it. I am here for it. Yeah. Why why do you love it? Well, it makes me want to... It's some reason to do it, right? Like, it's that investment. The same reason if I'm watching a TV show... It's better if there's like a will they, won't they romance. If I'm watching a movie, it's better if there's a romance. Now, I don't like strict romantic dramas, but I like my action movies with like a little sprinkle of romance. Mm -hmm. And I feel the same about my video games. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. I just think it's fun. It's like a really fun mechanic that you generally uh, do. You like the mechanical challenge? Yeah, like in God of War, I like the mechanical challenge of dating in that. What? I'm kidding. It's it's a bad joke. Oh, but no, but it's true though. Like Atreyu is kind of wait. <laughs> Atreus. I, I was I was talking about like God of War PS2. Oh, with, like, uh, just see the issue is we I I've never played that game. Okay. <laughs> no, it's a good point with your son too because some of that is kind of playing on. I don't think that's romance. That's not what I signed up for but, when I thought we were doing this episode. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's not romance. But what I'm saying is it uses some of those mechanics that we might associate with romance usually. Yeah. No, there's definitely the same way. I think there's a rewarding feeling. Like in life, when you pursue someone romantically and then you get their interest, mm-hmm. it's that, but way lower stakes in a video yes. game. And I feel like we can agree that like a lot of romance mechanics and games now kind of do double duty. Like they don't just model romantic relationships. They mm-hmm. model like friendship too. Mm. Oh my gosh. Yes. Like right now, just to date this episode and let you know when we're recording it. I am playing Fire Emblem Three Houses, mm-hmm. and the way you have to like build relationships, I'm like, oh god, this is like real life. It's like you have to put time into it. Yes. Yeah. And if you're not taking, I'm like, what I'm... I really want to do is get better at a sword for myself. Yes. But if I don't have tea time with this person, I'll never improve my relationship. See, I just stockpile hunting daggers and just hand this woman the same <laughs> gift over and over and over again. So, and you know what? I'm surprised she's not tired of it yet. I'm I like, she's got a drawer with my name on it full of stupid gifts I've given her. And after a while, once it's full, she's like... Time to marry that. Now Lindsay is thinking back <laughs> to how Sterling married her. I'm thinking about my drawer of daggers and, yeah, from Sterling. Yeah, just like every day, <laughs> Lindsay just gets like a, 
an egg. <laughs> like she's like, I like eggs. And Sterling's like, note to self. It would definitely be pizzas. He would <laughs> have romanced me pizza. by giving me a slice of pizza Oh, you've not seen our DiGiorno drawer? <laughs> <laughs> but, like, the reason I say egg is because, like, what if Petra is just, like, one day she's like, yeah, I like hunting daggers. In her mind thinking, you know, if I had a hunting dagger, that would be good. I like a lot of things. Here's one of them. But because game mechanics only go so deep, you can keep giving her those okay, hunting daggers. Right? right. So let's briefly talk about it, and I'm sure we'll get into it more. But mm-hmm. perhaps the most interesting part about putting romance in a game is making a mechanic out of it. Turning into a number, mm-hmm. essentially, right? Yes. Which, at its most basic, is the one we're talking about, where it's like, you just throw gifts at them. Or you spend time with them. Yeah. Which is at least a little less uh, problematic yes. in some ways. Yes. The gift-giving one, I know Dragon Age Origins mm-hmm. was the first time I was really exposed to that as a mechanic, and it felt... Not Harvest Moon? I played Dragon Age Origins before I played Harvest Moon. Whoa. Yeah. Which Harvest Moon did you play? Um, I feel like it was on the Wii, I want to say. Oh, is it Back to Nature? Or no, maybe something else. I don't know. I've but only that, played one Harvest giving. Moon. Okay. And there was gift giving, but I played Dragon Age Origins first. And I remember thinking, this is both totally bizarre and wonderfully convenient. Like, I wasn't mad about the mechanic, mm-hmm. but I did think it was super weird that I just had to, like throw gifts at them and they liked me better which like is but in dragon age don't you also have to like not turn them off from you when you like talk to other npcs or something no i I, to be clear i think dragon age has other mechanics to it Mm. that make it very good but are you saying if if you you have someone in your party that uh you want to romance and you're making a plot decision they react to these decisions you make for the plot so it, it makes it more interesting and nuanced there than it does when the only time you can build or foster like relationship points, quote unquote, uh, is when you're having a conversation directly with them. So say Sterling is in my party and I'm like, Sterling is the one I'm romancing this game. And in one game, I only build those points in conversations with just the two of us. So I can be a total psychopath, right? Or a sociopath. I can just say the things I know he wants to hear yeah. and win the relationship. But what Dragon Age Origins does is obviously you want like your number one husband in your party, but if they have some sort of ideology that differs from yours, now you have to choose between, well, do I choose the plot decision that's best for what my character would do? Or do I choose the thing that gains me favor with this character? That is a really interesting aspect of it because some games kind of structure the context of your relationships with people differently. So I would argue in Baldur's Gate, which is essentially like the blueprint for like how these relationships work. Yeah, I've been told I played the wrong Baldur's Gate. Yes, you played the hack and slash gauntlet on the game. game. Right. Baldur's Gate. Baldur's Gate. That's what everybody knows. (laughs) It's the only one I know. So the Baldur's Gate I'm talking about is the one that's basically Dragon Age Zero. I that's guess. such a good. I need to play this game. So I don't. I can't promise you'll like it. Yeah. Oh, okay. it, it is like. It, I, I'm not gonna lie. It's hard for me to play. I like, went back and played Jade Empire, and I, I liked that. Young Sterling struggled with Baldur's Gate. Oh, even when stri- it was like a almost contemporary kind yeah. of. Okay. Yeah. Like I think it's really that game's obviously extremely important and like influential. Oh. So how did it do romance then? So it was essentially like uh first of all, spending time with people was one of the big things. Like after certain events, people would say, you know, so and so wants to talk to you, and then you can 
have a conversation with them about something that's been affecting them or what you just experienced together. And do you get branching dialogue options? Yes. And because then, I think that's very meaningful if you're trying to make romance a mechanic, yes. is that there are tangents and trees, which we've lost as we've moved into more voiced protagonists in our RPGs. Right, right. So, the, well, the reason I bring that up, right? Like, yes, we can see how mechanically it's related to how something like Dragon Age does it now, but the context of it is very different from some, like uh, from like Fire Emblem or I would say Persona, mm-hmm. because in Baldur's Gate and Dragon Age, romance is not how you win the game. So when you suddenly tie romance to succeeding at the game, the story is kind of recontextualizing what the nature of your choices are. Because if I decide to be a sociopath in Dragon Age and I just say all the right things to people, uh, that feels more like, again, being a sociopath or something like that, right? Uh, I'm sorry for using that specific term. Very rewarding is what you're trying to say, obviously. (laughs) It's very rewarding, but also, like, you don't feel like you have to do that. Like, you feel... It makes me feel like I'm a weird person if I intentionally choose things I would never say I just see. to make people so there's have this, sex like, with lower me. stakes. Right. But in Persona or Fire Emblem, suddenly your relationships with people are explicitly in the story tied to your power level. Yeah. Do you want to talk, like, so how those games building relationships just makes you win win more. Yeah. Because if you're a teacher saying you guys should talk to each other more, there's like a utilitarian purpose to that, which is both more uncomfortable, but also very interesting in terms of like, what is the game asking you? How are, how is the game inviting you to characterize your own actions? Or do you really love these people? Or are you thinking they're going to make a better soldier mm-hmm. if I'm friends with them? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I know at least in Fire Emblem, it, that aspect of building the relationships between different characters uh, is important because it really does like foster the relationship and teaches them new moves and teaches yeah. them to better like work as a team. And they literally become like better at battle. Yeah, right. their stats go up, right? Yeah. Just like real life. But, you know, while there are all these types of romances, games like Persona and Fire Emblem right now and uh, a bunch of other similar type games. I'm a big fan of the games that do romance essentially on a railroad where you just are like in a character and they're like, this is the experience you're going to have. And you could that's say it. that's how Atreus works. In terms, like, I'm trying why to think is of, Atreus like, why, the romance? Because why do you of, go back to that? To Should we be worried? A, no, no, no. I'm trying to think of a game that like... Uncharted. Uncharted. I haven't played Uncharted, but I, yeah, but so like a game right. that Titus just says and, that you're in love with someone. Titus and Yuna. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Squallon, Renoa, something like that. Final Fantasy romances. Like, yeah. Sure. You can't not fall like you can't make Squall not fall in love with Renoa because the entire premise of the game is revolving around two characters. That's very much how it is. Like Uncharted is it, since you live under a rock, mm-hmm. it's just Indiana Jones. I know you know what it is, but it's like mm-hmm. Indiana Jones, except what if instead of having a new woman every movie, it's the same woman. Oh, I didn't know that. That's yeah. Cool. Well, they throw a curveball in, I believe it's three. I can't remember if it's two or three. I get them a little mixed up. But you start, so you end one, and you have this whole beautiful romance with El- El- Elena. Elena, yeah. And 
then, and she's like the reporter who plays by the rules and she just wants to get her story and Nathan Drake's the lovable scallion, right? Mm-hmm. Scallion? Scallion. <laughs> I like onions. <laughs> Rap scallion? Rap scallion. <laughs> I was going to say scoundrel. Han Solo. Uh, scoundrel, was. you know, scallion. It's like a scoundrel, but tastier. <laughs> Uh, a scallion is a rap scallion, but they're not musically talented. <laughs> Without terrible. rhythm. Let's just cut that out. Let's oh, cut it out. No. Cut it out. Cut it out. So <laughs> Nathan Drake is more of a lovable rascal. There we mm-hmm. go. And so there's this very classical romance arc of mm-hmm. he falls for her and she falls for him. And they like sail off into the sunset or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then two, I'm pretty sure two starts and he's just with some other girl and she's like really hot. And this like also competent thief of some sort, definitely someone who's done some shady shit just like him. And like they have some romantic past and they're just kind of like hooking up and you're like, where the fuck is Elena? And I just assumed at first, oh, they're just... You're doing the Bond thing. Yeah, they're blatantly parodying mm-hmm. Indiana Jones and Bond, all these adventure movies. Yeah. But then Elena comes back, and there's, like, conflict. Oh. So they do... I mean, spoiler alert yeah. for Uncharted, they eventually... Like, he marries her. There's this really big progress of their relationship over the course of these four games. And that... Like, they're a cute couple. I, li- I liked that. Mm-hmm. It was definitely a motivator... You know, doesn't The Witcher do something I was actually, like almost like a hybrid of yeah. that? So The Witcher 3, which is one of my favorite games of all time, does an interesting romance kind of option uh, where you are essentially your character has a history with three women from previous games or books or whatever you want to say. And you get reintroduced to them throughout the story and you get to rekindle the flame of passion with either uh, either of them or both of them if you want to you know mess up your romantic options at the end of the game because there are two main romantic options yes you can hook up with other women trish tris 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 marigold yennefer well tris is what i like to call the wrong choice and yennefer is commonly known as the correct choice the one that looks like morgana yes (laughs) the cat no, from Dragon, Dragon Age. Age. No, I was a, but with better hair. I don't like Morgana in Dragon Age, to be clear. I Mor- have not. Morgana got mad at me every time I helped somebody. Yes. She makes the game very hard to play if you're a good guy, which I respect. Yeah, I like, yeah. That was like, I like her. I like that she's in that game. Yeah. I just don't like her. If, does that make sense? No. no okay. It makes perfect sense. Is that Miranda, you said? What? Morgana. Oh. I don't know what I just heard. You've even played Dragon Age. I was thinking of Mass Effect. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, Miranda's the genetically perfect girl in Mass Effect, <laughs> who is obviously the best one. Well, and this is another fun thing, right? And well, Witcher... that, that's... <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean to, like... Let's not go down that <laughs> rabbit hole. <laughs> you know what I mean. So that brings up another interesting point of it gets you invested in, I think, what character you choose when you can choose to romance someone you feel like says something about you, right? Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. So like in The Witcher, who did you choose, Sterling? So r- real talk, first playthrough, everyone. Yeah. And uh, at, that kind of resulted with an ending where I ended up with no one. Just like real life. <laughs> did, you, did you feel like who you picked in The Witcher reflected differently on, is it Geralt? Geralt or Gerald? Geralt of Geralt. Yeah. Geralt's character? So Gerald is in Fire Emblem. Oh yeah, yeah. So I felt like 
the way I played it was how I imagined Geralt would have yeah. acted it out. So what I you liked, think he's a playboy? I think. I mean, he I for think, sure is. Have you played Witcher one? No, I've only played okay, three. Real quick, because this is something we should mention about how different games do romance. Uh, in Witcher one. Um, you could, you know, have sex with a number of different women in the game of various, like, varying levels of, like, commitment, or probably none of them really have that much commitment. Mm-hmm. But every time you have sex with a new woman, you get her trading card, which is... <laughs> right, it sounds like I made that up. That's amazing. You get a trading card and she's, like, naked in, like, a suggestive... In the trading pose. card? Yeah. That is... Wow. Yeah, yeah. Witcher 3 has come it's a like, long way. It's almost like satire. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's rough. That is definitely one of, I would put that as a bad example of romance in video games. And I get it. Yeah. I get that that can be something that someone's going for. It definitely meets a desire for I, people. But I also want to point out that from my perspective, when that game came out, I was like, yeah, this is silly, but also only like a small step beyond how I'm used to seeing this stuff in video games, because I'm kind of used to romance options being more like a checklist of how many people I can bang yes. in a game. Right. Yes. Especially we could talk about like Harvest Moon came up briefly. Mm-hmm. That is definitely one where I'm like, oh, what's my next accessory? A spouse. It's yes. not like a meaningful relationship that contributes to a narrative. It's just like that game is all about getting shit done and building a cool farm and a cool house and helping the town. I actually want to talk about Harvest Moon for a second because now I'm realizing when we talk about how Harvest Moon kind of turns your spouse into just kind of the ultimate quest, Mm -hmm. like the last thing to attain for your house, did you, you've played the ones where they actually have personalities and like you have to like go and find what they like and romance, kind of like in Harvest Moon terms, romance them throughout the game, right? Yes. In Harvest Moon 1, it's actually even more explicitly just what we're saying Mm -hmm. because in harvest moon one there wasn't really all these fleshed out characters to romance and like they didn't really have unique likes and dislikes and you really just came down to do you have enough wood for your house (laughs) and did you find the harvest moon flower to give to the i asked sterling the same things before we got married yeah did you give him the flower he had to give me the harvest flower? flower that's good I'm just wondering if such, like, terrible romantic representation in video games from these earlier games was just a limit of technology, that they mm-hmm. couldn't actually be like, oh, well, we did all this other stuff, uh, what we're going to forego is your wife's personality, or See, that I, person. See, I actually disagree. I think that that is highlighting the difference in goals for video game romance, because... When Harvest Moon came out, we already had dating sins, and we already had Fire Emblem, which had support conversations between characters. So I think this is a difference between, like, for example, romance being a thing that you attain in a game, which is one of your goals to win, versus romance being some kind of feature that heightens your enjoyment of the game, which is what, like, Lindsay was referring to before. Yeah. And Harvest Moon, I would say, is very... Much like a goal-oriented example of this. I think that when we think of romance in games, it's on a continuum of sorts, right? Where on one end, 
it is there are mechanics so you can just get this accessory quote unquote so you can check this box and like harvest moon seems to be like that the witcher one seems to be like that where it's like just click the right actions get this person and it's an achievement and on the complete other end it's simply about like it's very narrative driven right it says that this romance is used because that's an easy way to get a player, a viewer, anyone yeah. who's enjoying a story, emotionally invested. Yeah. And I, I think that that's Uncharted, uh, Prince of Persia, I think does yeah. this very well. And I, I don't want to Those talk are almost about like that. an extreme end of it where if you can't choose to have the romance, clearly the romance isn't there for you to to serve as an incentive. Yes. It's there to... It's there Flesh because the you story. like it. Yeah. Right? Well, yeah. I, I, it sounds like a lot of the time romance is used as like a Disney fairy tale ending where it's like, oh, your romance was taken away from you. It's time to rescue you. Or you're trying to save this person. So like Mario, for example. Yes. It's like, oh, you don't know anything about the relationship between Mario and Peach going into it. All you know is that something stole, bah, stole Peach and now your motivation to get her back is a kiss. It is yes. a very relatable problem and motivation scenario, right? Like, yeah. I can't always, I obviously can't relate to having to save someone who's been kidnapped or like having to jump over blocks and squish Goombas, but I can relate to saying, oh, this is his princess, like this is his special someone, and now he wants to save yeah. them. If only all these obstacles between these two characters were removed, clearly no other problems could happen. Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, and that brings up another example of one of the earliest examples, I would say, of video game romance. Mm. Uh, And when I say romance, I mean like, you know, two characters falling in love specifically, not just like a friendship or something. I don't normally refer to friendships as romance. Well, I think a lot of them, like, again, a lot of the mechanics mechanics we're talking talking about. about. I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. Um, So Dragon Quest 1, one of the earliest console RPGs there is. Mm -hmm. I'm going to hate on Dragon Quest 11 after this, but you go on. Yeah. So Dragon Quest 1, real quick, is basically uh, Yuji Horia, Japanese game developer, saying, hey, I've played all these computer games like Wizardry and Ultima, and if only, like, kids and, like, a mainstream audience would see how fun they are. So he made Dragon Quest 1 to kind of show normal people, like not nerds, uh, <laughs> how fun RPGs can be, right? Yeah. So it Dragon sure Quest... got all those normal people playing. <laughs> it did. It did. It was a mainstream hit, right? Uh, in Japan. And so in Dragon Quest 1, there's a lot of like lighthearted elements to it to try and get people over this barrier. Like, Again, very Disneyfication. Feel, right? Yeah, feel like it, they're in on the joke, right? Yeah. And one of them is that if you, when you start the game, you essentially have two goals. One is to rescue a princess, which is actually optional, I think. And okay. one of them is to defeat the demon lord, the dragon lord, or whatever. Okay. When you rescue the princess from a dragon, which again, very fairy tale esque. You have to take her back to the king. So she's like in kind of sort of in your party, but she's not like a playable character. Okay. And when you take her back to the king, she's so grateful to you. She's immediately in love with you. And every time you talk to her, she's reminding you of her love. And she gives you an item. Her name is Gwalyn in the English version. She gives you an item called Gwalyn's Love. Aww. So you literally obtain her love as a usable item. 
That's cute. That helps you figure out like where on the map you are or whatever and how much you need to level up. But here's another interesting thing. In the Game Boy Color uh, remake, and also the Super Nintendo remake of this game, I I don't know if this was like part of the joke, if the developers were like, what if we like played up this aspect of Dragon Quest 1 that didn't really come back after? Mm Mm-hmm. When you rescue the princess, your sprite changes to you carrying her. Like they designed a whole new sprite for yes, it? Yes. It's an entirely new sprite doing what in Japan they call the princess carry. Which if you which had to describe it that. for maybe a medium that's non-visual, like yes. a podcast. You're right. I am miming it. But <laughs> uh, basically, it's like if you watch a movie and you see like the corny, like cliche newlywed uh, coming into hotel room scene and the guy's yes. carrying the woman in his arms. I like that that's where you go and my head was immediately like, oh, it's like an X-Men when Phoenix dies and Scott holds her and is there, very yeah, upset. There you go. See, the, so way you you're, the way you're miming that, it was just imagining he was uh, holding like a, her. Oh, like a baby? Like, Chris, that was, Chris was doing uh, like uh, the way you would carry a baby. Oh, see, no, I, 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 that wasn't where I was going. It was like, Picking them up and holding them like like a straight up and <laughs> down just, vertical, yeah. like, <laughs> like on your shoulder. No, not not a potato sack. Just like, like they do for like the log throwing thing. Yeah, like, like Scotland or whatever. Yeah, they're picking up a, a princess like the log. Just like just Get ready I to like that. throw. Yeah, that's beautiful. So yeah, you carry her back to the castle like that in your arms, which I would say is very romantic imagery. Uh, but how, it's long, how long funny. did he have to carry? Like, how far would it's that distance have been? Quite far. Yeah. That, that's very like, impressive. I, I would say it's de- the game is definitely modeling days passing. Wow. He's very strong. From my perspective. Uh, another fun fact is that if you take either the princess or a girl you meet in town who says, I think I want to come with you, and you go to the inn and spend the night, if you talk to the innkeeper in the morning, he says... You sounded like you had a lot of fun last night, which I thought was Whoa. very, very racy for Dragon For something Quest. that's supposed to be aimed at. Yeah, for a game where the enemies have googly eyes so kids <laughs> like them. Yeah. Oh, well, that's okay. Wait, I, mean, I played. I mean, at the time, I thought they were like, you know, having a sleepover and uh, <laughs> well, playing board it, games like I would do. I think in the English version, they said, you sounds like you're very tired or something. Like, they kind of tried to make it vaguer or something. I So, speaking of Dragon Quest, Dragon Quest Eleven. Amazing game. No, it's a great game. It's a very good game, which is mm-hmm. why this is so upsetting to me. Uh-huh. First of all, before I talk about the main romance of that game, there is... Definitely like sexual jokes in it, which again seem very in at odds with the art style and the things that are happening. Like, I'm yeah. pretty sure there's a side quest to just go motorboat all the prostitutes you yes. can. Yes, that's actually a staple in Dragon Quest. Which is weird. That's weird. Yeah. I it's, think it's that a, should be a staple in every game. It's kind of a cultural thing because in a lot of like kids' cartoons, sex jokes are just like really common. Rampant. Yeah. I, well, I mean, I'm not Dragon gonna lie ball. to you. Dragon I, Ball, yeah. I did it. Straight up I went around it, and I made sure I met up with all of the Puff Puff girls. Yeah. But there is. So or, you and have, one of them, or in wait, do they do the thing where you think it's a girl? Yes. And her dad is motorboating you. Yes. That's that's. I think that's in a lot of them too. That's so bizarre. And they just keep doing. They're it. like, this is a it's good like idea. It's like the Austin Powers joke. <laughs> Which or sorry, it's like an Austin Powers style thing where oh. you yes. just repeat the same joke every. Gotcha. Every I, game. So there are two kind of 
female character. Well, there's more than two, but for me, there were two female characters that I thought were very romanceable. Yeah, like well written, written to be romanced in this game. There are two. There are two female characters within your party who are of age. The one who wait, are you including the one you you start the game with? No, but oh, we will okay. talk about her. So there are two. There's Jade, and then um, oh, not Veronica. Veronica's sister. We'll just call her Veronica's sister. For Veronica's now. sister, as she's known. Selena? Oh, Selena. The one. Selena. Yeah. Selena. So there's Jade and Selena, and they're in your party, and you have a lot of good moments with Wait, them. Is Jade the kicker? Yes. The Jade is lady? like the ninja. Okay. Like, she's very sexualized, too. Her entire combat system. Mm-hmm. So other people have, like, oh, I have this kind of magic and that kind of magic, or I have a sword and a shield. She has martial arts and being sexy. Wait, yeah. quick question. Yes. In. Is so in in the English version she's called Jade, right? Yes. Yes. Is she supposed to be Chinese in the English version? I don't know if there's a China in Dragon yeah, Quest. I never thought <laughs> about ethnicity in Dragon Quest. Well, I thought like so she's Martina in Japanese, which is okay. like in English sounds more Hispanic, That's I guess. True. Yeah, which might probably. be why they changed it. But they changed it to Jade, which obviously is not a Chinese name, I thought, but coded Chinese. I assume I that they just called her Jade because her outfit is green. Oh. Like, okay. that's literally where I thought Jade came from. And they gotcha. called uh, Eric Blue. And okay, Starling. So, okay, sorry. They call Eric Blue? No, Because he don't. has blue hair. He's making Who's a Eric? joke. He's a, your thief friend. Oh. So, anyway. I'm kidding. That's not true at all. So, anyway. No, wait. That's Kamu. Which is another one that they... Sorry, this is very confusing. So Jade <laughs> yeah. is the one that I thought was a really great character. And uh-huh. I was like, you for sure get to romance her. Because they have... There's like a deep backstory about your two characters. And she's everything she does is very sexual. There's a whole side quest where you can get like an extra sexy costume for her. And she has like a move where she, she, has, she has a sexy pose. Multiple moves. She has a puff puff move. Which as we discussed earlier <laughs> is... Some form of motorboating. She it's a massage or something. I don't know. It varies. She has all sorts of sexy moves where she just like splurts out sparkly hearts and. Does she have her sexy boobs. beam? Is that yes, a move? Yes, she has okay. sexy beam. So I was like, oh well, clearly this is your romantic option. No. Wait, that's how you read that? <laughs> yeah. I love how innocent and pure that is. <laughs> You're like, clearly the reason she does this. It's because the game wants you to fall in love with her. The world doesn't revolve around you, Lindsay. She's not doing that to romance you. Well, Maybe no. that isn't so innocent. But so instead, there's there's really no romance in the game. Mm-hmm. And then like slight spoiler. I don't think it's much of a spoiler, but so we'll avoid spoilers. But this is one end game spoiler that doesn't yeah. really reflect on the rest. There's of There's kind the of like a late game slash post game thing that you can do where you complete. Um, like dungeon kind of things mm-hmm. and then you can make a wish and most of the wishes are like I wish for this special stat or this special weapon but one of them is I wish to be married and if you choose that then it marries you to some character that isn't in your party that you're just oh, like oh you know what, what? I, <laughs> I'm linking this back now so in Dragon Quest 3 there's like a side plot where you're this is by the way, the premise of the game is that your dad died mm. trying to kill like the demon lord, and that's why you have to go on an adventure. Okay. There's an optional boss. Every time you beat him, you get to make a new wish, and you have to keep beating him in less turns. And then one of them this is, is very just similar. bring back your dad. Oh. But there's like 
the, the game's over. There's like very little to explore there. Yes. That's like a major thing. That's yeah. That was yeah. this. It's like, I wish I were married. And I was like, oh, I'm going to get to see him marry Jade. This is going to be great. And first of all, <laughs> It doesn't change anything. Wait, so it, the wish text doesn't specify no. who you're going to... So it's almost like the game is saying, of course you would marry this person. Yes. Instead, it just makes it so that you have been married to this other random girl who you have limited exposure well, not to. random. I know. But, yeah. but, like, limited exposure to this girl throughout the game compared to the women in your party, yes. right? For how long this game is, so, you see this girl for maybe 1% of this game. So this kind of raises the same question I had about Geralt. Well, to be doubly clear here, yeah. the only thing it changes is that she calls you her husband when you go and speak to her. And it's implied and then you her. <laughs> that they've been married yeah. for years. You yeah. don't get to see them fall, like really fall in love or have a love confession. Which I think like when you're in... When you're going into a story and you're like, there's romance here, and it should generally follow like the traditional plot, right? So you should have this like build, build, build to some sort of narrative climax and then this resolution. Mm -hmm. And that kind of like tipping point, right, is where they confess their love. And it's like, well, what is the Well, clearly the that's like arc? the Harvest Moon style, right? Yes. Where it's really saying like, Give you because I think that's the point at which it's dissociating you from the main character and saying, "Hey, you're controlling him, but he is a person." And so this whole game, what we're we're kind of telling you at the end is this whole game. He's really been wanting to go back and marry this girl. Yes, is my guess. It's definitely like the well, I guess he needs to get married for a happily ever after, yeah. and it's not about romance as a plot element. It's about ensuring that you feel like there is some sort of happily ever after and it must mean being married. Well, this is just really terrifying, though, to me. Like, imagine just actually being that character and going around, and then you're like, man, I really love X character that I wish to marry at the end of the game. And then you're some unknown force pushes you into a brothel yeah. and you're just like no please no, i love boy, this other yeah. woman. that's terrifying <laughs> good thing that doesn't happen in dragon quest right good thing but you are you do constantly spend time with this girl who's just like sexy bean sexy yes. bean sexy bean uh, what, so what were you going to say about the witcher uh oh well it just reminds me of that in the sense that it's telling you a fact about your character that you don't get to decide well, in, in The Witcher 3, though, you do get a decision. Yeah. Because essentially, I like I believe that Geralt would go with either Triss or Yennefer based off of his experiences oh, in the saying. books yes. and, and books and previous games. And so when you choose like, oh, I'm going to go with Triss and you get you get a different ending. Yeah. If I go with Yennefer, you get a different ending. If you choose both of them, you get a third ending. And, and would it, you say, though, that all three of those choices are, like, plausible for Geralt? They're all 100% plausible. Like, it's incredible how well those, like, endings all go through. I do think together. that something that touches on that I think is reflective of real-life romance is this idea that who you choose to spend time with, mm -hmm. especially romantically, is going to shape you as a person in turn. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. So I think that is a meaningful way to have divergent endings without having to do these drastically divergent endings, right? Like, yeah. you feel like you have a unique ending for your character if you go through the main story arc and then you have your romance 
So it's kind of the opposite of, of Mass Effect 3, where it built and built and built, and it promised these like very varied endings. And I know, I feel like general opinion has taken a weird swing back on this, but everyone was very upset about the Mass Effect 3 endings when it first came out. Yeah. I, I still am not a huge fan, partially because, for me, Mass Effect was just as much about your relationships that you built, and especially that romance, as it was about the main arc. That main arc of fighting aliens becomes more meaningful because you're like, why am I doing this? I'm doing this to maintain these relationships I built because this like life I have is meaningful and these people are meaningful to me, so you do it to protect them. So when the story arc doesn't become about that anymore... So you're saying it's almost like... We, we talked about how romance is like can be like a seasoning that heightens your experience of the story. Mm-hmm. You're kind of being more specific here and saying specifically it gives you stakes because this is what I could lose. Yes. But you're saying the stakes of the story moved away from something related to those characters. And I think that's extra interesting. Have you guys both played Mass Effect? I've only watched, I I watched uh, three different people play through Mass Effect 1, 2, and 3. Okay. And they, in in a dorm. Okay. Um, I watched someone play for like 10 minutes. Oh my God. Okay. So Mass Effect, the problem that, I think what exacerbates the issue of Mass Effect 3 mm -hmm. is that Mass Effect 2 kind of perfected this idea that your relationships are the stakes. Because the whole idea is you're going on a suicide mission, essentially, and you have to get the team together, and then you have to build these relationships with them, and you get to romance someone. Um, I did Garrus, for those of you who are wondering out there, because you seem I like know I was wondering. The only good choice. He's the alien dude. The cow-looking guy? I don't know if he looks like a cow. Or a I think slug. he looks like a... Maybe a slug, yeah, but like a sniper slug. <laughs> That was so... the best description I've ever received. I have a question for you after this, but go on. Okay, okay. So the whole idea is, and you do better on the mission. So this is kind of that mm-hmm. persona style we were talking about, where you do better on the mission if your relationships are better, but it's the end of the game. Yeah. So it's not like you typically do better in combat. I can't remember if it has some sort of explicit combat uh, impact, but you... Whether they survive or die on this suicide mission is dependent upon partially how good your relationship with them is. Mm-hmm. So the ending isn't necessarily about, oh, I beat the bad guy. You're kind of guaranteed to beat the bad guy. But how satisfying your ending is depends upon the relationships that you forged. So it's like, well, did everyone live? Did some people live and some people die? Like, you don't play the game to see if you win against the bad guy. You play the game to create a narrative, right? You're telling a meaningful story about what happens to these people. So then when they jump to three, that kind of disappears. They tried to pull back and make this epic branching thing. Uh, They did add, so they added a DLC called the Citadel DLC, which is this kind of, ribbon on the package where you do like a fun kind of mission and then there's a party at your flat with all of your relationships you've cultivated throughout the game series and everyone was like this is what we wanted so clearly they knew at some point because it came out not too long after three so i don't think they made it in response to the backlash about the ending i think it had to be in development at some point and they were just like this is dlc but everyone likes that as like a sort of ending because it gave this closure. So I guess my takeaway from this is you're saying that 
romance is a way to better fill a world and make it feel more real. Because you can get into all the politics, you can get into the motivations of characters, but the romance makes you feel like you're actually swaying things one way or mm-hmm. another based on decisions that may or may, may not be the most beneficial for the end game. Yeah, so, it gives me investment. But also, it kind of sounds like you didn't just want the payoff to come mechanically. You wanted that payoff to wrap back around to the characters, having some kind of ending yes. reflecting your choices. And honestly, like I think the best narratives do something meaningful with a character. Yeah. Right? Like That's kind of the difference between as stories have become more modern, they've gotten better at consistently fleshing out characters as opposed to like some really... And I'm talking like old, old stories, right? That are just like, here are the main events that happened. But as like audiences have really grown, mm-hmm. we've begun to expect these deep. Yeah. Narratives. I mean, the modern fiction usually, like what we think of as literary fiction is almost exclusively concerned with character change. Yes. Right? Yes. Right. And, and like, for example, in like Game of Thrones, uh, I think... Was it George R. R. Martin that just like described uh, building a story as like a garden or a uh, yeah, architecture like outlining Is versus that George letting R. R. it develop? Yeah, he, he goes, might have he might have referenced it. Might there's probably somebody no, else. No, he, he but, called himself a quote unquote gardener rather than an architect. Yeah, and essentially what that's saying like for this design style is you know you create the characters and as it goes along like you're like oh well that's where this branch is going so i guess that's where we're going to trim it up mm-hmm. whereas an architect is plot based no i don't think that's a difference an architect has the plan and then yes. you fill it it's more like it's not really about whether or not it's about character change it's more about are you deciding from the beginning what the end of that character's arc must be? Mm. Or are you allowing yourself to kind of let the character develop and wherever that character logically should go is where the story goes. Right. I right. would argue that like TV shows more like the garden are much better with a garden because yeah. you don't know how long they're going to run. Exactly. Whereas and books can be either. Like, I don't think one style is better than the other, and I'm pretty sure most authors use a yeah. bit of both. But the movie is, for um, sure, they, if you write a movie, you know where that character must end. Yes. That would be, like, the best example of an architect. Yeah. I tend to, like, if I'm writing, I like to start as an architect and then have little park pockets of gardening. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, I think they can work hand in hand. But I think that the approach to romance is... Uh, in video games, a lot of the time they end up just being like, here's the endings with the different like people that you can romance, and you know we'll get there. Yeah, I think I know what you're saying, because it's almost like the format of a video game is kind of telling you, well, you know that if you keep, you can see on your Fire Emblem's like, support screen, you go, your, this character's relationship with you can go from C to S. And you have a pretty good idea of what S is going to be. Wait, that came out wrong. (laughs) Oh, man. I thought I was like super good friends. (laughs) Strictly casual. Yeah. I guess another example then, and I prefer, I love it when I get to choose. Mm -hmm. I mean, choice is rewarding. People like to be able to have agency and choose things. It's literally 
like encouraged when you're teaching. It's like give them choice because it'll make them more invested. And I assume the same applies to video games. Yeah. So then the games like Uncharted or Prince of Persia, dude, Prince of Persia, the Sands of Time, did such a good job of getting me so invested in the princess that anytime we were separated, I'm like, I got to get back to where she is and see this develop more. Like that was such a compelling story for me that it was the motivator to get through the mechanics. And I, I love the mechanics of Prince of Persia. I think they're very rewarding to play, but it, it, I, part of why I kept going was because I'm like, this is such a good love story. Like, this is so fun to see their chemistry and to see them, like, play off of each other. So it kept me going. And, you know, so I want eventually this has to start getting into the Fire Emblem or Persona style. Like, how do games represent progress of romance as a mechanic? But before we get into all that stuff, I kind of do want to take a moment and talk about what does non-mechanical romance look like in a game? What does it mean? Because there is a key difference, right, between a game story that has you in a romance with someone or has your avatar or a character in a romance with someone and a movie, and that is the fact that a game is more explicitly concerned with making you connect, like, on a very visceral and primal level with the main character. Mm -hmm. So... Can you guys think of maybe good and bad examples of where ma- a romance is forced on you, right? And yeah. when I say forced, I mean just in the sense of you must romance right. this character in right. the story. I don't uh, know if I can think of a works. bad example. Um, hmm. I can. Okay. I never cared about the romance in Zelda until oh my God. maybe... I don't even know if you would call it romance in The Wind Waker. I See, I don't like the one in The Wind Waker. But... But I see it as, like, it's explicitly not romance, and that's why it kind of works as, like, a relationship. But to me, not until Breath of the Wild did I actually get invested in the relationship between Link and Zelda, which, funny enough, may not even be romantic. I think it's definitely romantic. In Breath of the Wild. But Wait, for Breath of the Wild yeah. too. Well, but in Haircut Zelda. Ocarina of Time, they are very clear about how many women want to have sex with Link. Oh, at yeah. Least What's one his of little them girlfriend at the beginning you? with the green hair? Saria. So Saria. she's really into it, and then the Zora girl. Zora girl. Oh You're technically married or engaged to the Zora girl. Yes. Okay. She's like madly in love. Just with like him. in Breath of the Wild. The uh, the Gerudo woman, Deborah, not Deborah. Uh, what's her <laughs> name? Naburu. In Ocarina. Naburu. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. She is clearly interested in you when you grow up. Dude. Good thing. What about what about the Lon Lon girl? Yes. Okay. Oh, okay. Actually, you know what? I lied. There is a romance you don't have much choice in. Uh, and I actually really liked it. And that is in Link's Awakening. Um, oh. I don't know how much I'm allowed to say about what Link's Awakening is about. Yeah, they just, or they're about to. A remake is coming yeah. out. But every, doesn't everyone know the basic premise of Link's Awakening? Link sails on a ship, it crashes, and he wakes up on a sh- lo- like a desert, not an island, not desert. Okay, real Zelda's quick. calling out to him, right? She's like, Link. No. So, Lindsay, okay. why do you, do you think, when, when Shirley refers to waking up on the beach, is that why you think it's called Link's Awakening? No. Why do you think it's called Link's Awakening? Because the whole thing is a dream, and he has to wake up. Okay, so if that's okay to talk about. Yeah, no, I feel okay. like that's got to be common knowledge. Okay. If that's okay to talk about. 
Um, a lot of characters who show up in Link's Awakening show up in other games, but they're not called the same name. Mm. And it's kind of like Link imprinting his memories so it's onto like Majora's the stream. Kind of. In a way, yeah. Okay. And what I really liked about Link's Awakening is you actually get to go on a date with uh, Malin, mm-hmm. who is clearly Zelda. Like, Aww. she clearly looks just like That's Zelda. Cute. And uh, you actually, when you start your date with her, you actually hold her up in your hand like an item. And it says, you got Malin. Well, it doesn't say you got Malin. You're like, it's like, you're going on a date with Malin. Is this your big chance? And it's clearly poking fun at like how games up to that point were commonly modeling romance, which is a goal. Right. But it's different in that game because the game actually asks you questions, uh, like rhetorical questions about your relationships with the characters. Like, even though Malin may not be real, does that make your feelings for her less real? Or does that make your... That's a weird question. Uh, the time you spent with her less important to you, which is essentially saying, is a video game an important thing to yeah. experience? Right? And so really it's not about the romance, but more like the game is using romance to kind of right. give you an example of a relationship you can have with a fictional thing. So that's interesting. And I do, so that makes me, I want to finish talking about Zelda romances in general first, yeah. but that does make me think of Catherine. I was actually yeah. about to bring up Catherine so right now. So we'll put a pin in Catherine, and we'll circle back to that after Zelda. Because now that we've thought about Zelda, I do not like a lot of the relationships forced on me. Yeah. Uh, Twilight Princess, whoever that random girl is from your hometown, where it's like, oh, I got to save her. Oh, no, she's lost her memory. I, don't, I can't be bothered to remember her name. She sucks. Twilight Princess also forces all of your friends on you, and... Oh didn't really God. work for me. No, also, and I like Twilight Princess. Also, it forces you to collect bugs. Okay, let's not. I, okay, that. stop. Yeah, I like <laughs> Twilight Princess, but and I like Zelda in that game a lot. And mm-hmm. I don't think there's any romance between Link and Zelda no, in that game. I would not. She is explicitly so. way too cool for Link in that game. I'm just gonna say. You don't really get to know Zelda at all, so I'm fine with that. It's not like you no, just no, show no, up. Oh, no, yeah. I mean, yeah. It's, a it's a good thing. Oh, okay, good. No, no, no. Right, no I'm the same saying page, it's a yeah. good thing. When you meet Zelda in that game, it's clear that she's like an element of the world building that you feel like you finally intersected with. Yes. Which is really cool. She yeah. is definitely like a princess queen who's trying to figure out how to keep her world together. And she's like, I don't know who this wolf dude is who just came in here, but if you can help, help. Okay, bye. Like, that's it. It's a business transaction with her. Mm-hmm. Now, I know a lot of people really like Midna and think yeah. there's some sort of romance there. I have to admit, that was a complete surprise to me when that, people brought up Midna as I, a, like, romance. Which, like, it is, there's evidence for that. Like, you clearly spend the whole game It is her. a time investment thing. Mm-hmm. And we recently, I'm pretty obsessed with the Breath of the Wild 2 sequel. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I think it parallels a lot of Twilight Princess things. But, so I recently re-watched the end of Twilight Princess. And she, it's very dramatic. She's in her, like, human form or Twilight, Twilight form. Her humanoids. So, yeah, and yeah. she says her goodbye to Link and starts to cry because she knows she's about to destroy the mirror so they'll probably never see each other again. And she does this, like, dramatic... She wipes her tear away and pushes it through the air. And And destroys the mirror that's opening up the Twilight Realm. I'm just putting that together that it's because she's going to miss you. Yes. You're like, wow, she really liked that that mirror. Honestly, I think I just was not very invested in her. Well, I mean, that's fine. I think Midna, for the most part, is like a chat room friend because 
essentially she's just got a weird cat avatar and then That's at true. the very end you get to meet her in real life and you're like whoa you're a smoking hot like, <laughs> princess that's a good point so and i so i think that's an interesting style of romance in that it's not super explicit but it is obviously a meaningful enough relationship that many players engaged with it and were like oh i i ship that right like yeah this is something i think should be a relationship and it had just enough in the game to support that desire, but not enough to make you feel like there was a resolution for it. Because it could be a romance. It could just be like, you're my good friend that helped me like yeah. save my world. But at least they justify that, right? But like up till I would say Breath of honestly I would say probably till Breath of the Wild, excluding Link's Awakening, Zelda as a series does have a common thing where women that Link meets, they usually fall in love with him. And it's like a very harem-esque, or it's mostly Breath Ocarina of the of Wild time, definitely say. has that too. Oh, that's true. Breath of the Wild does have that because with everyone not named Zelda. First of all, I hate the, what is it? Mipha? Mipha. Mipha. I hate Who's basically the Zora They were thing in love. Again. But yeah, you were actually married She's to born. her. You're yeah. not married. You were engaged. engaged. Well, I told her father we married. I did not. I was like, this is a lie. This is slander. I mean, you are wearing her armor. Ugh. That she made as an engagement ring. Out of necessity. So, but, and then there's also, um, Papaya. What's yeah. her name? Yeah, Papaya. Okay. Right. I couldn't remember if that was my joking nickname for her or uh, her. Impa's granddaughter. Is it, I think it's just Paya, but oh, I called her Papaya. Oh, Paya. Yeah, 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 Yes, yeah. I called her Papaya, but the her name is Paya. guarding Impa. Yes. Yeah. She is definitely crushing on you because you can read her journal about how yes. hot she thinks you are. Also. It didn't help that I always strutted around naked. And she blushes. <laughs> yeah, I did that. <laughs> I mean, half of that was for me, half of it was for Pia. <laughs> so, so it's, a, you can it's also, like a good give and take right there. You can read the town journal, and someone who owns a shop is really attracted to you and wants to mm-hmm. see you light fires with your arrows or something. No, no, she wants to like see you light the arrows so that you know you can try and impress her husband who became a crazy chicken man and like he was a great archer but she definitely says something Wait, to the what? extent there's a journal entry and she sexualizes link Wait, are you talking about the guy who gives you those challenges for shooting your bow No, or? no, no, no. If you so read in, in the in, journal in Impa's in like, K- in Kikiriko village, yeah. the woman that sells arrows is like, this is my husband's shop. He was a great bowman. Uh-huh. And uh, he decided, he went off the deep end and decided to become a chicken man. And that's him that over mean? the, he, he raises chickens now. <laughs> oh. And I'm like, why are you calling the uh, Rito people chicken people? <laughs> so anyways. <laughs> you can decide. To she's like, it. try and win him back for me. Like, try and make him realize how great bows were by okay. like going and like shooting arrows at all the uh, torches and lighting them with the fire arrows. Okay. And you do it, and she's like, it didn't work. But you know what? It re- you Seeing you do that reminded me of him, and I like that. She's definitely sexually attracted That's getting to into you. some weird territory. So, I think Breath of the Wild still has a lot of that, too. It does. And I right. did not like most of the forced romances in that, either. I really like Link's relationship with Zelda. I think it's very funny that you s- you think of them as romances, um, I meant romantic elements. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, it's just like, I think that that's very generous, is what I'm saying. <laughs> he was engaged to Mifa. <laughs> no, but I mean, like, to me, just, it kind of reads as, like, something I'm used to seeing in video games, oh, where it's I just see. like, every woman You're wants like, this is to just a trope. Me. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess, like, if that's one thing I don't know if we wanted to talk about, but, like, 
player sexual characters. Did we that want to talk about sure. Catherine first? Oh, yeah, we'll put a pin in that. We'll come back to... Okay, because that is definitely going to be the capstone of this conversation, the inevitable <laughs> end point. But so one more game, and it's interesting way of dealing with romance, and not necessarily a motivator to get you through the game, but as the meta-commentary, right, is Catherine. And I have nothing more to say, really, because I haven't played this game. Well, Shelly, have you played Catherine? I played half of it at your place. Okay. So have, you, so have you played it then? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So like, I can talk about like the mechanics and like why the story is going on a little well, bit. Well, set the stage for Catherine. So Catherine is about this guy that uh, is in a relationship with his girlfriend, Catherine, and they're about to be engaged um, or so. Maybe he's thinking about it. He, he's in that kind of like, late 20s situation where he thinks he should marry someone, but he doesn't know if it's really because he wants to, I think. And you know, it's good that you bring up Catherine, because we were just talking about how sometimes romance tells you something about a character that maybe your avatar, but you don't get control over that, right? Like, yeah. Like the Dragon Quest XI guy, like, he... <sighs> It might be saying that maybe he just really wants to marry that childhood friend, and you don't have control over that, mm-hmm. right? But uh, with Catherine, what's really interesting is you both have this relationship that the game is telling you uh, you're struggling with, right? And for sure, there are going to be players who see Catherine with a K, who is the person you start with, like in a relationship with, and be in love with her or something, or they're like, this is the obvious choice. And then there's well, she's be... very put together and professional, yes. right? Yes. Okay. She has her life together as far as you can tell at the beginning. Okay. And then the other Catherine with a C. Yes, it's like a, it's like a very fantasy style kind of cheating, kind of story. Very like youthful girly girl. Yes. Boobs are just out. Yes. Okay. She is the opposite of like a well maintained, like grown up kind of thing. Right? Yes. She definitely feels like someone the same age, but with a much more youthful personality. Yeah. In, she, and youthful, a very sexualized fantasy kind for of sure. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And he's trying his best to escape being an adult, right. essentially. And really, right? like, the relationship, the romance in yes. this is all about the grappling with, like, what you have to do to actually grow up and deal with real life. Yeah. So yeah. That, well, it starts as that, and then it gets in some weird directions that, <laughs> let's yeah. save that for another episode. So that kind of tackles romance not necessarily as a motivator, as fleshing out a plot, but as the thing it wants to unpack, right? And it yes. talks about, how do we show how difficult romance can be? <laughs> well, let's make a puzzle game about it. Yes. And it's not just the puzzle game. So there's actually multiple game elements mm-hmm. here. Okay. There's dialogue choices as well, right? There's dialogue yeah. choices. And this was actually one of the first games that did the whole thing where you see what your character might text and then you can erase it and then choose something else. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And those are, that's how the game represents your dialogue choices. Interesting. And what I think is particularly interesting for this conversation for Catherine is that the game does a little bit of both. You can choose who you ultimately end up with in this game, but that is coupled with two very big choices you cannot, you have no control over. One, that you start off in a relationship with Catherine with a K, mm-hmm. the adult, like, professional woman. Uh, and two, and I don't think this is much of a spoiler, but you have to basically cheat on her. Like, the story yeah, basically that would says, be rough. you wake up next to this woman, this woman who is not your girlfriend, 
And it is basically telling you something about the main character, Vincent, right? Yeah. Uh, but it's also kind of putting you in a situation where you have to deal with something that your character has done, even though you are kind of in charge of, like, guiding him. And so romance here and, like, actions taken during romance are developing a character even as it's giving you a little bit of control over the narrative. Yeah. Uh, but again, I don't want to get too much into for that. For sure, yeah. for sure. And I think it's so... It's a nice hybrid. There is an important kind of subgenre that we haven't tackled that is the obvious thing for this. Is it a subgenre? Because I think it's a genre in and of genre, itself. A genre, a capital G genre. It, is, it did for sure start as a genre. So um, the dating sim. Yes. So let's talk real quick about the history of the dating sim really quickly. Yes, okay. So dating sims were a thing as early as, I want to say, the 80s. Um, they were mostly computer games, um, what we now know as visual novels. Some of them right. started when I as hear dating sims. Dating sim, what I picture is it's Japanese. It's just a bunch of anime girls, and you got to romance your anime girls. So, yes, and there are multiple takes on that. So one that you might be familiar with is the Doki Doki Literature Club School of Dating Sim. Oh, my Sim. gosh. If only we had a <laughs> podcast episode coming out after this one everyone could reference. Maybe. So Doki Doki Literature Club is a common type of... Uh, you might call it dating sim. I actually wouldn't even call it that. It's yeah, a visual novel. Doki Doki is but its own thing. I'd it say. does have uh, the basic kind of the basic format of an actual dating sim in that you have days that progress and the story is changing slowly as time passes, uh, which I realize is, describes a lot of video games. And the but, end goal is ostensibly to yes to romance, get in, woo a lady. To woo a woman, the, um, or at least in that specific case. The ultimate goal in these seem to be just, you know, getting that relationship, not really maintaining it. Well, and I yeah. will say... Well, not always, not always, but... There are a lot of games now on the App Store that are, like, choose-your-own-adventure romance games, yeah. definitely targeted, as a woman, definitely targeted like, at women. You're an isekai woman dropped into the Three Kingdoms, and all these Chinese yes. generals want to marry you. That is literally a thing. Yep. I'm not saying I downloaded it and played it for a little bit, <laughs> but I can confirm it exists. But I want to step away from those real fast and talk about some a game that I think has been extremely influential. It's called Tokimeki Memorial. I do not know what that is. Sterling's oh. nodding. Do you know what that is? I've heard Chris talk about it in the past. Okay. It was a Super Nintendo game. Maybe it was also a PC game before that. Not sure. But uh, basically, you played a kid who went to high school, and your goal was to, I believe, by the end of the summer or the end of the school year woo uh, this girl that you're in love with. Okay. So and does I, it tell you which girl to romance? You don't uh, choose? I think in the first one, there's just one girl, and then they add more. Okay. I could be wrong. But it goes day by day. That's like the basic unit of gameplay decision, is what you do, I think, either two things a day or one thing a day. And you're like, do I want to study? Do I want to work out? Do I want to go gather yes. information? I or have something? played a game like this. Yeah. And so you, it is essentially like Persona 3 through 5 minus the dungeon crawling elements. Because you need certain attributes to exactly. attract the woman. So and like you need yes. to go to the gym X amount of times to be a certain amount of fit. Yes. And as time passes, the story will give you hints about the personal details of the various girls you can romance. Like, oh, she likes fish, or she really likes teddy bears or something. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, okay, if I end up in a situation where I can give her one of three things, it'll be a teddy bear. Or and something. that, so we were talking about our 
um, continuum of ways to approach romance in a game, right? Yeah. That falls in a very gamifying... Yes. But it's almost like a puzzle game. In terms of the spectrum between mechanically represented and not, like Uncharted being the other side of that, this is one extreme. Yes. But we kind of talked about another spectrum where we talk about romance as kind of heightening an experience versus uh, being an end goal. And I think Tokyo Meki Memorial and games like it are kind of like right in the center because romance is ultimately the goal of the game. But you could also argue that your romance with these girls is also kind of what makes the basic gameplay, like going through high school life, more interesting. And they definitely have a personality, right? Yes. So that's cool. Yeah. So as we all know, that basic concept of every day you improve yourself and you become closer to NPCs in the game world... Um, that has now made its way into all these other genres, which have become much more mainstream successes because of it. And I think one of the big ones, obviously, is you know Persona 3, right? Which took those Tokimeki Memorial elements, even including the high school setting, and then combine it with dungeon crawling. So like any you know, other games have done it before that, like Rival Schools, like a fighting game where you go through high school life and you have a date. There's like a dating sim. Mm-hmm like a uh, story mode, but I think we can all agree that Persona 3 is the one that kind of turned it into this whole big phenomenon, right? Yeah. And now here we are with Fire Emblem Three Houses. Yes. Basically doing that. Which has really blended like those dating sim elements with just killing people on the battlefield. Yeah. And like applying it to like, I mean, we mentioned this earlier, but these elements come from dating sims, but in games like Fire Emblem or things like that, like, it's not just about dating. It's like your relationship with every character in the game uses those mechanics to model how close you're getting. Which is interesting because, like, I think I like, I definitely like it better when they're blended. I would prefer... The dating sim elements with another genre. With battle. Yes. Yeah. For sure. I think that when you blend the two, instead of it being some like end in it of itself the, of getting a relationship it's like oh you have the relationship and now this can bring with it some sort of benefit to your character yes so i haven't seen yet like a game where you break up and it's like here is a detriment to your character for like three <laughs> That'd missions be great. Right? that is interesting there are games kind of like that kind of do that persona 3 did that for a little bit which made it almost a little bit m- it lets you be uh, a, a really manipulative person oh. if you want it to. This does lend itself to that. Yes. Because in Persona 3, as you know, like the closer you get to people, the more demons or whatever you can mm-hmm. make. And uh, you can go into reversal with someone, which means you said something so horrible, they break up with you. And then if you get back together with them, if you reconcile, your relationship actually gets stronger than where it was before. So you're incentivized to do mean things. Yes. Which actually, Yikes. Persona 3 is a very... Like, the game doesn't want you to max out every relationship. Okay. But you can. And, <laughs> and if you read a guide telling you how to do it, sometimes they'll tell you to put someone into reversal so that you get more gains in a shorter amount of time. Interesting. And, and I feel like that yeah, has to be in there as a mechanic. It's for sure intentional. Because if you mess up, 
mm-hmm. you can like you can still yeah. salvage a relationship. And like if you're realistic. doing an organic playthrough, yeah. and you say the wrong thing, it's not like well they're just always behind now. It's you can still salvage yes. it. And I don't want to say this is a bad thing that right. it might cast you as manipulative. Like Persona Three, if you max every relationship, the game actually has a character tell you like. You're like a very like two-faced kind of person. Yeah, can't be friends with everyone. Yeah. That's weird. So clearly a lot of people agree with you guys because, you know, games before Persona 3 have done like the mixing, right? Mm-hmm. Like there was a game called Thousand Arms on the PlayStation. Which and, is a cool name. That's yeah. a cool game name. And yeah. the premise of that game is you go on dates with women and that's how you learn magic and abilities oh from Sterling, dating have you people. learned magic? From dating me? Uh, yeah, I'd say I learned some magic. I don't want to get any further into that <laughs> line of questioning. Uh, but yeah, there was Thousand Arms, and there was Rival Schools. What's and Rival now, Schools? Rival Schools was a high school fighting game where you play as, like, cliche anime. Love it. Like, uh, archetypes, like you're a photographer girl or the swimmer dude, and they all have fighting styles that reflect oh, what they do. Oh my gosh, we I forgot that together. was a thing, yes. Yes. Well, those one of those had a disc where you play as a, the fighting game character, but you go through your high school life and like develop your stats and relationships uh, while you beat people up. I think when you pair them too, it makes a more satisfying like feedback loop. Uh huh. So it's like okay, half of the game, you're trying to cultivate these relationships and build certain skills and that time management system. Mm-hmm. And then the other half is feeling that that has been rewarded in battle going well. And then when the battle goes well, you're like, oh, I've got to keep training. And when you're training, it feels rewarding because so it's like either way, you're doing something that makes the other half feel rewarding. Whereas if you did just a strict dating sim or just a combat game, mm-hmm. You don't have, like, it's still a good feedback loop, but it's not the same. It's almost like you're saying that both modes feel like a payoff to the other mode. Yes. Because you're in a battle and you're like, oh, our relationship's being forged in fire, and this culminates in this conversation we get to have in the peaceful mode. Oh my gosh. And in the peaceful mode, you're thinking, man, we're getting so close. How will this translate to me murdering people? Yes. Yeah, and I think that's a really maybe healthier way of looking at a relationship and that it's like a constantly growing thing rather than like a end and you're like i got it i guess i just have to live out the rest of my life doing menial staff stuff just to like maintain so you see it as a relationship manager as opposed to other games that make it just like a like a, a, an obstacle course to get to the relationship. No, I think that how the way that you frame relationships in a video game is potentially indicative of how you rep you you view relationships in the real world. Maybe. Wow, I feel like maybe I gotta sit down and think about how I feel about my video game <laughs> relationships. Really, like looked at I'm, you through this lens and was like, "Wow, Lindsay's got an S in magic." <laughs> like, I mean, like, Sterling's like, "I've seen Lindsay romance Alistair. I know what that means about her." <laughs> but I mean, like, that's the thing though is like, if you're Harvest Moon like kind of like relationship, it's like, oh, the end goal is literally a prize. It's just a trophy. I mean, well, I know. I I think I see what Sterling is saying. Sterling is saying that. Like, you know, every game is treating the role of relationships in your adventure or your life differently. And your taste for that might reflect how you see the role of a relationship in I guess. I, I, like I, I don't know if I was saying, like, the player specifically, but uh-huh. maybe, like, 
the design. Oh, like the game's outlook. The, the game's outlook. See, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yes. I, I also saying. interpreted it as a player commentary thing. No, no, no. I wasn't talking about you, the player, the listener. <laughs> I was like, so if you Everyone's like Harvest Moon, you're you. wrong. No. <laughs> no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that like it's it, the game's outlook on relationships. Is, I mean, we is all know what Lindsay's is now. I don't know. I'm really into Dragon Age, <laughs> so I guess that says a lot. But specifically Alistair. I can but, never romance anyone else. I'm so very loyal. Another thing I want to kind of propose, too, is that I think that the second mode in these, like, hybrid games, I think it simulates something that video games are usually not... Either they're not great at doing it, or no one wants to really try doing this, and that is turmoil in a relationship. So... Hmm. Even if you go back to like Tokimeki Memorial or something, right? It's all coming down to these events where you go on a date with a girl and did you remember her favorite color or something like that? It's That's like, how you measure success in the real yes. world. It, well, it's a very unilateral test, right? Yes, yeah. But there's nothing like, man, I feel like she has no ambition or I feel like uh, he won't come out of his shell or I feel like he, I wish he did the dishes or something like that, right? <laughs> but like when you watch a romance movie, right? They're dramas because... These characters meet and they get into a relationship and then some kind of obstacle has to get in the way of them having a relationship. That is such a good point. How do you simulate that in a game where you're, there's only so many ways the game can put a problem in front of you and ask you to solve it by yourself without the other person helping you? Yeah, and montages definitely won't help this. (laughs) Montages? Yeah, well, in every rom-com. It's like, oh no, the problem happens, and then you get the montage where he comes to terms. Oh, I know what you're talking about. And where he's sad, the introspection. He's sad, introspection, yeah. realizes the problem, starts to make changes to his life, and then yes. does makes everything better in a short period of like one minute. That's Forgetting minutes. Sarah Marshall. I've right? never it's, seen that. It's every rom-com. Well, well, especially in Forgetting Sarah Marshall, like the main character, the whole problem of the movie is really internal in him. It's not really about his relationship with people. It's about a problem that he won't admit that he has, which is that he won't work on himself. I will say, right? though... And that way, maybe video games are a more accurate reflection of dating. Mm-hmm. Because, like, a, a healthy relationship should not follow the rom-com it pattern. Not. But we fucking Where love you, that it does. I, no, I do. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. Right. But, like, it's in the real world, if you meet someone and you're, like, constantly fighting. Exactly. Until some... Well, there's constantly a new lover coming yeah, and revealing themselves. And then some extenuating circumstances yes. push you together. And then you realize you're in love. Yeah, that's it's like, not healthy. Yeah. yeah. But in How do video I make games. extenuating circumstances <laughs> to push this woman it, into loving me. Exactly. Well, you guys know the whole thing they talk about how if you go on a, a rickety bridge with someone yes. and it pushes you closer together because you think you're kind of like identifying that with romantic feelings, right? Yeah. In like a video game where you're mixing these two genres, it's almost like the non dating mode is like. You and your partner, every single day of your life, get to go walk on this rickety bridge and experience something that tests you. Yeah. And that brings you closer together, well, even though it's very unrealistic. The other that thing that happening. video games do with their romances are um, the way that you have to get to know them. So you, yeah. it's not, oh, we're overcoming some bizarre turmoil. It's that you are paying attention and say yeah. kind of things that are helpful to them and they want to hear and... It's like the escape from the conflict of the game, maybe? Like, mm-hmm. the conflict of these games are these grand, overarching, like, monster problems. And the romance is 
the nice breath of fresh air. Yeah. Which I argue is the world romance plays in a lot of so, fantasy movies, action movies, things like that. Do you think that romance is sometimes used as a way to better allow the viewer or player to get into this world because it is something that is similar between like yeah. this crazy magical n- nonsense world yeah. and I think that's why they sure. pair really well together. I mean like when you play like Dungeons and Dragons or something like that like common advice for the the person running the game the dungeon master is put NPCs into this world that somehow have an undeniable connection mm. to an individual character and then Anything that puts them in turmoil is suddenly making the world feel more real and more desirable to protect to that player, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so I, I guess what I'm getting at here is basically video games can use this other mode to simulate something that isn't in real life, but it's something that we crave from romance stories, which yes. is something to endanger the romance. Yeah. Even though that's not really happening. But I guess it is because Dimitri could die in battle. Right? The game ends if Dimitri dies. Well, yes, it, it ends. But, but if I were romancing Sylvain. But here's, yes, but here's exactly. the thing, though, is maybe that's why people get so invested in their waifus and husbandos, because they've been in all these situations yes. over and over that are like... Yeah, yeah the game which, is manipulating. There's yeah. definitely a lot of emotional exposure yes. to these characters. And, and it's also easy to explain why your characters are falling in love, because the game's saying, hey, you guys are like on the battlefield constantly, yes. so Do you think so it's love easier can to bloom even on the battlefield, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> I think it can. I think Fire Emblem proves it. Fire Emblem is actually a sequel to Metal Gear Solid, and but only in terms of ideology. Oh, I see. Because it answers the question of can love bloom on the battlefield. And that was really the main thesis of Metal Gear Solid. I'm yes. sure everybody you know, at home agrees. Why doesn't Metal Gear Solid have some kind of hybrid dating sim, espionage? That would uh, make it hybrid better. Game. Yeah, they, we have a hybrid game in every genre. And I just thought of another one off the top of my head. It was uh, Romance of the Three Kingdoms 10, which is <laughs> a polar opposite. Why is there a 10 of all one? These, there are 10? Yeah. It's a really popular... It's For a while, it was like the only strategy series about that book, or one of the Interesting. only. Interesting. Okay. Made by Koi. And uh, it's really aimed at like like people who are really into Chinese history, so a very obscure very player niche, base. Okay. Like two-thirds. Uh, Sterling. Uh, fun fact, they also make... Uh, women-oriented dating sims like Angelique Twa, like that. I think I told you about that recently. That sounds familiar. Yeah. yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, so Koi, for the tenth game in the series, they decided to turn it into a Chinese life simulator in that period, and so oh your God. character can just go and be like, "Hey, uh, Guan Yu, let's go have a drink at the pub," and then you and Guan Yu progress your relationship, and then you meet each other on the battlefield, and you're like. Guan Yu, you should join my lord. And also, I'm making a bid on our relationship. And like, if we were really friends, you would betray your country for me. And Guan Yu's like, we sure we did bang that one time. And then he like, I thought you were gonna be like, yes, yeah, I really enjoyed the beer we had together that one time. <laughs> no. I mean, I think it's gonna take more than a beer to get him to betray his uh, maybe sworn he's brother. Not very loyal. So I, I want to jump back to Alistair. Uh-huh. Um, oh yeah, because. The way you can romance Alistair, the decisions that you have to make going into the game are very specific, aren't they? <sighs> they are. So that I, you, I, you, the first mean? time I played Dragon Age Origins, I got very far into it and romanced the shit out of Alistair. And my first time I ever played it, 
I was a an elf, uh, one of the, not the city elves. And turns out, um, if you are not a human noble, you cannot marry Alistair. Oh. That the best the best ending you can possibly get is being his side piece. Interesting. So because of his birth. Yes. <laughs> so whether and I mean like if you can access the romance options with him also impacts how easy it is to keep him alive and make him mm-hmm. a, like make him a good king or a bad king like you, there's an option at some point, and you don't have to be romancing him to do this, but you can do, it's called the hardening Alistair route. Mm-hmm. And it like, you make him not trust people and he becomes, it's easier to get him to be king that way sometimes. Anyway. I've heard, yeah. I've okay. heard that that's a thing people tell you you might want to do if you want him to have like a better ending or yeah. something. And I never do that because the best ending is to not have him do that and be a human noble romancing him so anyway I, I got hours and hours and hours into this game and realized that I was locked out of marrying him and I said well I'm pretty invested in this game I really want to be his queen and marry him so I like re-rolled essentially I started the game over did not finish my first playthrough started a new one so I could be a human noble and get the ending I wanted with Alistair and, you know I, I think that's a really great piece of like storytelling i think that's amazing for like the world like you know i like i like the i like you player character but i am not allowed to be with you i think that's mm-hmm. just very a very bold choice for one by the designers and developers of the game but i can see how that would be alienating for a yes lot of people like yourself who do not have an extra 70 hours to pump back into that game yeah. to get the ending that they wanted. Oh, I found yeah. the extra 70 hours. <laughs> or maybe no amount of hours can do it. Yeah. Well, right? yeah, that's the other thing. And I mean, so there's different... This is so hard because, like, what's a developer to do, right? Yes. Sometimes there's a player... There's, a like, a an NPC that's one of your party members... And the pitch is you can romance everybody. And you're like, this is not a romanceable character, but they're my favorite. Yeah. Like for, for me, that was Fallout 4, where I wasn't particularly interested in the romance options, but I really liked Dog <laughs> the robot? Nick Valentine, yeah, the, the robot. And he was not romanceable. And I was like, I guess I just, I ended up romancing Hancock. The ghoul? Yeah. I don't know. He like, you know, like he seemed into history because he named himself Hancock. He was like 800 years old. Yeah, that seems like... Well, I think what you're getting at here, though, is an inherent tension between a developer wanting to provide wish fulfillment, which I would argue is a very common and totally fine goal for a video game. Yeah, especially a romance video game. Yeah, I would say most games, to some degree, whether or not their ultimate goal is wish fulfillment, use that as a... Uh, an incentive to see what they have to say. They use it as a way to bridge some gap between them and the player. That's a really good way to put it. So there's a tension between that and then also wanting to deny the player something in order to tell a story. Yeah, I mean, so a big one that people talk about is like creating a sexuality for these fictional characters Mm -hmm. because in the real world, people have preferences. They're like, well, I prefer if you are male or female. And sometimes in the video games, that's, like expressed too as like what kind of like like in in Dragon Age Inquisition there's an elf character and he only wants to date elves like he's just not into humans so it makes these characters feel more real if they have preferences and tastes 
But then it locks you out of that sense of wish fulfillment, which you felt like you were signing up for. But of course, like the flip side of that is everybody's just into you because you're the protagonist. Which, you know, is a pretty great thing every once in a while. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. And there's pros and cons to that, right? Like if you are, let's say you are gay and you live in 2008 and you're playing this game with, you're playing this game with like characters who all of them will bang you. No matter what, they'll mm-hmm. all romance you. Mm-hmm. That might be the only way that you get to experience this gay love story, yeah. for example, right? That's an important thing. Yes. But on the other hand, if you are straight and you're playing this game, every character in this game, if you are straight, is also going to be straight for I, you. I had a, an interesting case in a game where I can't remember what it was, but I thought I was just becoming really good friends with this guy. <laughs> and it turned out that we became oh a little God. bit more yes. than friends. You talk, are you talking about Fallout 4? Yeah, I think so. Yes, one of the uh, NPCs, I like didn't realize I was romancing him. Oh. Parsh- I put that partially on the writing. I, that happens. Fallout <laughs> 4 has a lot of problems in my book. <laughs> yeah. That's a big complaint with some of the Bioware games, uh-huh. especially I know people talk about Dragon Age Origins, because mm-hmm. all of the characters at some point just come up to you and are like, romance line. And you're like, oh, n- no. I'm and I flattered. think in Dragon Age 2, <laughs> no, well, there's me. one guy that comes up to you, and if you say no, it like hurts the relationship. Mm-hmm. And people are like, well, I don't... like." I don't want my only option to be be in this relation, like a romantic relationship with this NPC or piss him off. Like, is there not a friend route? No, because he's that kind of guy. I guess. He's like holding your relationship hostage. I guess. And you don't want to be with that kind of person. So it's better that you hurt your okay, relationship. Hold on. <laughs> he also ju- blows things up at the end of the game. So I do feel I need to jump back to explain why I'm mentioning 2008. Because oh, I yeah, think yeah. That, was, that was around the time that... People were talking about this phenomenon about Bioware games, mm-hmm. about this thing called player sexuality, which is the idea that everyone in the world is possible for you to romance. Yes. Right. And so, you know, there's that pro to it where you get, on the one hand, representation if you want it. If you're seeking it, mm-hmm. characters will become gay or straight for you. Yeah. Right. But on the other hand, I think, and I, I think there's a lot of issues with this. And one of the non-storytelling issues that comes up, and again, this is something that I'm hearing secondhand and kind of relaying to you, so take it with a grain of salt, but I've heard the argument that this isn't really representation, because what it means is, if you are a straight person playing this game, and if, for example, Alistair is gay, but never for you, Mm -hmm. right? Like, that never comes up for you. Mm -hmm. You are never exposed to a gay love story. Yes. So, like, that representation is almost invisible to everyone for whom representation Who probably needs gay. Yeah. Need to know about <laughs> that, right? So, there's like a negative side to that. Yeah, that's too. a really good point. Yeah. Inquisition made a different choice mm-hmm. where they have, like, they do have characters who are gay and that's a part of their story and there is this, like, representation to it. But again, I don't know. It's such a tricky thing. I yeah. feel like either direction you go, there's something to be gained and then something that you're you're losing out on too. Yeah. I, I personally, like I understand why player sexual characters to keep using that term is like a thing and mm-hmm. it could be a desirable thing. But like to me, the better solution is just making these characters different. I tend to agree. And just like, you know, if a character is gay, they're gay. Or if they're not gay, they're not gay. 
if you want there to be more gay characters, you should write more gay characters. Oh, like for the developers. Yes. Yes. And I will say the the hard thing there too is then you have to make enough options. You have to make enough options. Because it's and, and all good options. Because yeah. it's not fair to be like, oh well, well yeah. these romances are great. For if you're romancing a straight woman, we'd spend a lot of time writing that. And also there are five of them and they're all super yeah. hot. And then yes. they're like, but here are the two like women who might be either like bisexual or lesbian and we didn't spend as much time on them and they're maybe a caricature or like Yes. The, you are the gonna pressure is on somebody. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, to be fair, I think we all know certain people are gonna be alienated more often than not in that scenario yes. because they're like, I wanna sell ten million copies or something. Yeah. And I'm not necessarily saying like that makes you a bad writer, a bad person for doing that, but it does mean that this stance that I would prefer a developer take, which is write your characters, write them the way that you think they should be, yeah. and don't change them for the player, does benefit me more in the long run yeah. as a straight dude. I also right? think having like more yeah. diverse writers yes. could only help. But I mean, your, I, it's an accurate feeling of like expectations and representation. And... and part of it, too, is how you see a relationship with your avatar, I think. Because, like, for example... I joined Golden Deer in Fire Emblem Three Houses because Boo, Claude is clearly, as a straight dude, Claude is clearly the hottest guy. It's like you didn't even see Dimitri. He's okay. He's fine. Oh my God. He's I made a female character just to date Claude because I don't think that he's gay. As far <laughs> I as I know. can tell. I didn't see that list But he was like your favorite character. In fact, when people talk about how there aren't... Uh, some people have said that there aren't enough gay people in Fire Emblem. Mm -hmm. And my immediate thought was someone really wanted to date Claude. <laughs> I guess the clear it is, are none me. of the three main ones. It is weird to have the three like main ones who clearly so, would have the strongest story impact. Mm -hmm. um, Edelgard, the, the girl, is bi, so you can date her as a man or a woman. But both the men are straight? I'm not 100% sure I'm about the men. Sure okay. um, I don't think Claude is gay, because I think that people brought that up. Okay, yeah. I no, don't know. One person that I, I was, saw online was really upset that this like guy, Aloise, who's like a knight <laughs> who has a wife and a daughter, would not get into a gay relationship with him. And it was like, and when he got to like the max rank of like relationship with his with Aloise, Aloise is like, you're like a brother to me, you know, like you and Ooh. I were both raised by like the same figure in our lives, and you know, you're you're always there, you're my man. Like I like that he's he is a character that makes sense with like desires and choices, but it feels bad when you put in eighty hours and get well, to the very end. Not only that, know. but if you don't feel like there are other comparable options that you like just yes, as well. That's true. Like and, and, and I think telegraphing it is a really good point. Yes. Right? Well yeah. here's the thing. I having watched Sterling's playthrough of Fire Emblem versus my playthrough, because I'm playing as a, a female and he's playing as a guy, um, the female characters just come right out and try to seduce the male. So how is that professor? different from like real yeah. life? Whereas like the way <laughs> that your interactions are written with the guys are usually they do something slightly flirty and then they're like, oh, but I didn't mean that. Or they say something really deep and sincere. I feel like whoever wrote like, this. like, oh, I didn't really mean that. Oh, Sterling, you were saying people come out and try to seduce you in real life. Yes. That's that's the joke. Like, Way to get there. Yeah, I was like, what are you, what's happening at these Chris. schools you guys go to? Which no. is the same as mine. 
<laughs> so I thought you were talking about teacher student <laughs> relationships. Oh. So I feel like there's a definite difference in the writing because whatever they thought that people playing male characters trying to romance female characters were seeking is just women throwing themselves at you mm-hmm. in a pretty sexual manner. Like one character is like, do you want to see all of my tattoos? Yes. And another one's like, will you take care of me forever? Like Dorothy. Which I guess, yeah. <laughs> which they do ask. I did have those conversations with them too. Yeah. And I think the text is all the same. But I guess it just felt less sexual to me. I don't know. I don't know why that is. But mm-hmm. then the dudes just say very sincere things. Like, one day I want to show you a field of flowers just like this. I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, that's nice. Like. Yeah, I didn't get that dialogue line. <laughs> <laughs> so to put a cap on this uh, conversation... Why don't we go around real quick mm. and talk about some of our favorite and least favorite romances yes. real fast? Yes. Because okay. we already kind of did that this whole time, but it's Alistair. So you, so Lindsay, <laughs> Alistair is kind of, you always bring up Alistair as like the benchmark. Oh my gosh! For Al- a good well, game relationship. Both Alistair and Colin. So Alistair is in Dragon Age Origins, and it's just because the thing that those games, that game especially, has going for you is your companions come around with you, and there's banter. So they have character-specific things that they say while you're out in the world fighting. Mm-hmm. And he tells, like, bad jokes. And he's just, like, a cute little puppy. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I see why you married me. <laughs> I'm like, he tells bad jokes just like Alistair. This is the one. <laughs> so there's this feeling of getting to know him. And he has such a meaningful arc, especially if you've romanced him. And then Colin in Dragon Age Inquisition is not in your party when you travel, but you still get a lot of good dialogue scenes with him and you definitely see him grow as a character. I I think like he has a choice. There's a whole, there's okay. There's a whole subplot where if you're a certain type of knight, you have to essentially take a drug to do the things you do. And then they realize the drug is bad at a certain point. And so, who'd have thunk? Okay. So you, if, I think you know, regardless of if you romance him or not, you can choose to help Colin wean himself off of the drug or keep it. Mm-hmm. But if you're romancing him, that story is a lot more meaningful. Like there's a scene where you wake up next to him and he's having a nightmare because he's like having withdrawal from his drugs. Like, so I think that those two are just more meaningful because the amount, it's the amount of cutscenes you get with them, mm-hmm. which sounds really stupid. But like, the thing I'm missing in Fire Emblem is nothing feels unique about the romance. Like, when I try to romance them, I'm like, I'm going to romance this one, and I'm 40 hours into that game, and I feel like everyone who plays the game, no matter who they're romancing, will have seen all the same cutscenes, except for, like, two. Whereas in Dragon Age with Alistair and Colin, not only mm-hmm. are they, like, well-written and they're, like, cutie-patooties, but, like, you get so many romantic cutscenes where you see your character and their character get to know each other and develop and there are a lot of sweet touching moments they're, they're both characters that do like sweet gestures and they're they're awesome mm-hmm. anyway so Alistair's your favorite Alistair and Colin fan club forever and your least favorite romance I don't know I don't do I don't do the romances I don't like that's like a hard thing to choose you know what I mean or you can think of a game that you just didn't like how it modeled romance well, while you think on that, I'll yeah, talk come about back, come back to my me. favorite romance. And that's Titus yeah. and Yuna in Final Fantasy X. It is just... But how... It's hard to talk about 
as someone who that is that is not their favorite favorite romance, <laughs> that was Chris's least favorite. It's, it's actually I think hard to talk about why it works without getting into spoiler. And you can't spoil it because I am in the middle of playing it for the first time. I know. Because it's 2019. One of my favorite games that defined my childhood. (laughs) Or or teenage... Sorry, have you played Beyond Good and Evil? Because that defined my life. Well, anyways, Titus and Yuna's relationship is just so good. And everybody makes fun of that that laughing scene where no, he's like, No, it's a great ah, scene. Ha, ha. I love that scene. It's it, like in the context of the story, tell it's us, great. Tell us why it's good, Sterling. So. Correct correct this myth that it's a bad scene. Yuna is realized, like, is, is very, like, sad a lot and, like, isn't very, like, doesn't get to express happiness she all the time. She has a heavy burden placed upon yes, her. Yes, she has a heavy burden because she is been has been taken has taken on the role of the person to destroy the monster of the game but to do so she must sacrifice her own life titus just learned that this is going to happen and is so like he's like you know it's all right we can find a different way you just gotta smile we can be upbeat about life this is going to be a great journey we're going to like not have you die in this and she's like, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, like, he's cheering her up. And he's like, just laugh. And she's like, like, what? He's like, I, I, she's like I'm not in the mood to laugh. He's like, you don't have to be. Look. <laughs> and it's so bad that she laughs. Yeah. And she's like, starts laughing. They start having a good time. And she's like, you know what? I can have a good time, even if I am on a death yeah. march. And, like, it's, like, really sweet. And it's, like, gets yeah. them closer they're, together. They're kind of, like, bonding over how him being like the celebrity who's trying to hide his like his abusive relationship with his dad and, he, and like, her being like a pilgrim celebrity yeah. who has to pretend like she's not marching to her death yeah. which is the premise of the game right uh, they both bond over having to put on this brave face for everybody especially because Titus has been like he's he's in a new world essentially it's like his world but it's not anything that he remembers after coming in contact with the big bad guy, Sin. And uh, so he's, like, lost, and she's, like, guiding him and, like, helping him out, and they're just getting closer, and they, like, finally, like, you know, have, like, those romantic moments, and it's it's just so sweet, and it's such yeah. a good, like, a good payoff at the end, too. I, I guess to maybe say, I'll yeah. get there. I You know what? Like, I'm not a huge fan of Yuna or Final Fantasy X, but... Or Titus. He's fine. He's fine. He's awesome. He sucks. Uh, but I do think that that is a good example of a game trying to really explore a relationship from both sides of it. And because a counterpoint to that for me is uh, Final Fantasy VIII, which is also a Final Fantasy game that revolves entirely around a relationship between two people. Mm-hmm. And the main character of that game, Squall, uh, he's like an introvert and he's like really in his shell and um, half the dialogue in the game feels like it's him talking to himself or like talking in whispers to himself. Mm-hmm. And there's a woman named Renoa that he meets. And uh, I think a lot of people are going to be mad at me for saying this, but by the end of the game, I never felt like I knew who Renoa was. I'm not mad. She kind of feels like... <laughs> I haven't played this game. <laughs> she kind of feels like what people call in movies that pixie dream girl who comes Manic in Manic pixie and, dream girl. Yeah, who comes in and saves the main character or shows him how his life can be fantastic. Oh. And I think in a video game, there's a lot of room to start with that and turning it to something different. Mm-hmm. But I didn't 
feel like the game did that. She's just a manic pixie dream girl throughout. That's my take on it. It's okay. been ten, like over 10 years since I've so played So is that your least favorite? That would have been an example of my least favorite. What's your I mean, favorite? I've already talked about like how, you know, in Ocarina of Time, everyone feels right. like a harem thing. I don't know if I have a favorite, but I, there's one I want to plug. Okay. Because I recently recontextualized this as a romance because I've been watching Great. someone. I won't identify this person because <laughs> I'm about to reveal something personal about them. <laughs> Uh, but I I watched someone play through Suikoden 2 okay. recently. One of my favorite games of all time. Uh, We're just racking 2, up games I haven't played. Uh, this game is a Japanese RPG from the mid-90s. Amazing game. It focuses on a relationship between two young men, and they are best friends since mm-hmm. childhood. And the relationship most developed by far in this game is between them. And it's very touching. I played this game when I was like nine. Didn't even really Click. understand that someone could not be like me. Yeah. Basically. I didn't think that this could be gay yeah, at all. Because it wasn't something that crossed your mind at nine. Yes. Until I talked to someone who read a lot of gay romance that came from Japan and informed yes. me that this game follows every trope that exists <laughs> in a gay romance story uh, in Japan. And when I looked at it through that light, I was like, oh my god, this game is basically Romeo and Juliet in certain ways. That's cool. And it's using this war, which is like the central like um, problem of the story, mm-hmm. to separate them by force. And That's cool. And pit them against each other and see how their life up to this point diverges and how their relationship with each other affects what they do in this war. That's cool. Yeah. I thought it was very like beautiful. That. It's a great story. And it can end multiple ways and all of them are extremely touching nice yeah i liked it a lot i will okay so thinking of one that i maybe didn't like as much and i already said it today but the one with mifa in breath of the wild Mm -hmm. because it it felt one very forced upon me and and especially when the game opens with zelda calling out to me i felt like the game opened with like this very fairy tale romantic Mm-hmm. pitch where it's like Zelda is calling out to you to come save her and I was like ooh I'm gonna come save my girl and then it's like uh hi you were engaged to this fish lady and I was like what is happening it's almost like the game kind of dissociated you yes. from Link there yeah it has to be a little bit jarring it was very it, I felt like there were two conflicting messages as the game opens with a cry for help from Zelda and I'm like oh I'm gonna go save her this is gonna be great and then I'm like piecing together my memories of how Zelda and I like grew to bond. And then the game's like, oh yeah, you had a fiance. I kind of yeah. like oh, that Lindsay's that... approaching this from the assumption that the game told you you were in love with Zelda. <laughs> well, I mean, here's the you have to save her. I assigned fairy tale tropes to it. Okay. I'm That's just going to say, though, I like that. I like that, though, because it's like you're at a completely new link. You're coming out and you're like, the first person you hear is Zelda. And then you start remembering things you have with her. And you're oh, like, oh, wow, you know, I'm really attached to this person. And that's really the only person I'm really interacting with in this giant wasteland. Mm. And then you go around around the world and you're like, hey, did you know you were engaged to my daughter? And you're like, no, I did not. And I'm not a fan of that. Like, what? Yeah. Well, that's an interesting way and to, to interpret it. Pe- behind the curtain of this podcast for a second, we have already recorded the Zelda yes. podcast. And we do talk about in that podcast... How the game essentially uses Link as a different past Link as a different character to measure yourself against. So it could yes. be that the game wanted you, Lindsay, to look at past Link and be like, "Boy, you backed the wrong horse." It was successful because that's what I thought. 
That is interesting. That's what I can't. I, I don't like. There are other romance options that I was not into. Like in Mass Effect Two, Jack, who's like the she's the bald telekinetic character. Uh-huh. She's like so hardcore with her tattoos, and she swears, and she flips things over. She's angry and punk rock. And I like whatever. I I could never see romancing her. I wasn't into the blue alien lady. Any Holly. of the blue alien ladies. Yeah. Because I just, they seem real boring to me. They seem real like milk toast. Hmm. Well, I think if I were to choose my least favorite romance, it's Animal Crossing. There are, there are none. Tom well, I definitely had a boyfriend in Animal Crossing. Uh, yeah. He didn't know, but. I forget who it was, <laughs> but there I picked one. It was the Tomcat guy. or not. He's like the black cat with like the little. I had the orange cat, the cat that had an orange for a head. And uh, they had an orange for a head. Are you Did yeah. you really date Garfield? <laughs> and, uh, I just wanted to like romance them so that I could get their picture and show it off in my house. Wait, you're saying he had an orange for a hat? Head. Head. I thought you were I saying don't... he had orange fur. It's Tangy, I think, was okay. his name. It's... Which Animal Crossing is this? Uh, the, is the original? Wild, wild... No. Okay. Oh, the DS. DS one. See, I'm talking I... about the original one where you could not even do that. No, and it's I was not just actually like... romance. Lindsay's like, it's I have just... a boyfriend, but he doesn't know. <laughs> it's just disappointing because you like build up your relationship with these but people. All... They give you better errands. They give you gifts. They give you all sorts of they're things. They're all animals, and you're a human, maybe. Are you a human in Animal Crossing? Well, in the Ooh. first one... Or are you I'd a like... pig? No, you're a human. You look kind of like a pig. You got the first like... Animal Crossing, I, you have those horns like an ox for some reason. That's true. But, but not if Why you're a girl. Why are you the only human in Animal Crossing? Oh my gosh, have you ever read any of the creepypastas about uh, living in Animal Crossing uh, I've read one. Oh, we should do a creepypasta episode. <laughs> They're fun, but uh, yeah. I, I don't know. I think there's much more they could have done with Animal Crossing and building relationships mm-hmm. because it was just running errands. And essentially, it just turned into filling my museum simulator, the game. And Sterling filled that museum. I did. Um, But anyways. Uh, As a final thought, you know, we should probably play Monster Prom, now that we're thinking about that. That sounds great. Monster Prom. It's a... Is it called Monster Prom? I think so. I hope so. I would play a game called Monster Prom. There's like these different people and everyone's trying to date. It's like a multiplayer game. And you all compete trying to ask someone out to the prom. Listen. I had a board game growing up called The Barbie Game. Okay. And your goal, you had to get around the board, right? And you had to get like a job to earn some money. You had to be the president of some club. You had to start dating a guy. You had to get him to go study with you. You had to buy a dress for the prom. Uh, I think there was something else you had to do. Everyone's competing. So to do what this is this first. go study mechanic? Like, how do they implement that? Um, it's worker placement. Oh, okay. you, no. <laughs> you have to. I'm putting three me- three meeples onto uh, his packs. And... You have to get on a certain space. Oh. It's like go to the football game and it's you, kind of like life, and like draw a card. Nice. Yeah. And the goal was to be the prom queen. So, but you couldn't Boy. be the prom queen without a good date well, that, and a nice dress. It sounded like it was going in a really progressive direction you know? for a little bit. And what about any of that sounded progressive? Getting a job. Okay. All right. like, <laughs> what if I told you the jobs were like babysitting? Oh. Oh. Oh, because you're a teenager. Teenage girls, especially. Yeah, well, okay. okay. Uh, you know, that reminds also, me. Also, this game uh, is from like the 60s. Life is also kind of like. Insurance. Harvest Moon or whatever, because yes. you are trying to get your spouse. A competitive Harvest Moon. Did you know that there is a Japanese Sega Saturn version of the Game of Life? That's amazing. Me and I would you play, we play it. it a lot. 
And why are we not invited? You guys can play. It's is all it in Japanese. You, is it because you know I'd win? Well, there are dating sim elements to it. So Love if you it. imagine playing Game of Life, but also you can. I'm get, just gonna learn Japanese real quick so I should. can come play it with you guys. Uh, not only can you can date you like, people. I don't know. A week. Huh? I said, give me like give a me week. week. Yeah. That'd be fine. Well, I'll give you the uh, note cards with all the. That'll do it. From the game. Thank you. Yeah. I'll, I'll exclusively know Japanese as yeah. featured in the game of life. The dating sim element has like important words like kimochi and. Oh boy. <laughs> so that's it for today, guys. Thanks for joining us on this romantic episode. It makes me want to go, I guess, play more Fire Emblem. Yeah. Woo Dimitri. Because in this game, he is a prize and an achievement and not a meaningful relationship as of yet. But we'll see. I feel like you've changed your stance on that. There's something about Dimitri I don't know yet. I'm just, I'm so far into this game and I haven't gotten enough romance. You know what I'm saying? No. Like there's no, I need like romantic cutscenes. Like I need a trail of breadcrumbs like I am Hansel and Gretel. Oh, I know what you're talking about because Fire Emblem, it's very much like scene one scene two scene three yes. and not like little things happening throughout yes. the game there's no progress of the romantic things it's just these are the scenes you get regardless of if you're romancing them or not and then at the yeah. end maybe it's a romance who knows that's yeah. kind of the advantage of those so RPGs. anyway anyway we're putting a cap on things this has been a good episode i think because i like talking about all of the little romantic elements in games if you want to keep an eye out for some of the other episodes that we plug, make sure to follow us and subscribe. To um, player versus plot. It is player versus plot. You can find us on Twitter and on Instagram. That's just player vs plot. Give us a follow over there and you'll be sure to keep up on any new episodes coming out in the future as they drop. I know we mentioned we've got our Zelda one on the docket, mm-hmm. Doki Doki Literature Club. So if you're like, what on earth is Doki Doki Literature Club? Keep an eye out for that. And in case you missed it, we have our Persona episode already up as well. Anything you guys want to plug? Just romance. Plug romance? I plug (laughs) uh, Sterling and Lindsay's relationship. Oh, thanks. Just plugging romance sounds awfully dirty. Uh, Oh, I actually do have something to plug for for once. I have a blog if you are interested in tabletop RPGs. Or in blogs. Topics about that. You're talking about like only a few people like blogs. I, yeah, it's just I personally really like blogs. So if someone says yeah. I have a blog. So so tabletop uh, RPGs. Yeah. It yeah. just all of them. Just all of them, or okay. just game design in general. You can find that at pathicablog.com. Pathica. Yeah. Like, can you spell that? Yeah, how you... P- yeah I'm about to. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not ignorant. I know. Uh, that is p-a-t-h-i-k-a blog.com. Well, I'm glad you spelled it because. That's not how I would have tried it. Is that like Pathfinder it. and Magicka? Like, like Path? Of? Well, yeah. Pathika means wanderer. Oh, in what? Language? In Sanskrit. Cool. Oh. Yeah, totally looked that up. I'm not <laughs> learning Sanskrit right now. I'm learning Japanese. Well, you just learned some Sanskrit, so. baby. Do you have do you have the game of life in Sanskrit? No. <laughs> what Don't help this, you there. I'm what sorry. What is this worth to me then? <laughs> oh, anyway, guys, thanks again for joining us. One more time, feel free to find us on all the social media, except for Facebook. We'll get one eventually. We'll see. I feel like by the time this episode comes out, we should have a Facebook. <sighs> now I just, feel like I'm I, putting my foot down. Just to prove you wrong. I don't want one Guys, now. Guys, we have a Facebook. Check it out at Player vs. Plot. In the future, when you listen to this, <laughs> I will have made a Facebook. <laughs> Bye. <All right. laughs>